Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. If you are new to Suncast, I want to say thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention by lending us your ears. And the only non-renewable resource that you've got, that is your time. Promise that we are going to take good care of it today. You are definitely going to enjoy this conversation. If you've ever been in a position where you want to scratch the entrepreneurial itch, uh, and then you run into the opportunity to get a job again, and you sat on that fence of, do I get a job? Do I work for myself? Today's guest, Marcus Matthews, has been there and his guidance is going to be instrumental for you. Marcus joined Energy Support Services back in late 2020 after years of working for himself and for others. His journey through deep sea welding in the oil and gas industry and uh, time in the Navy helped spark in him the idea of being environmentally conscious and leveraging his engineering and his aquanautic skills to help solve the energy crisis the broader clean energy transition crisis, as it were. He has a particularly keen focus on the operations and maintenance side of the business and how he has built his career and his businesses around that specific element or niche, as it were, of the solar industry is, I think, remarkable and insightful. I hope that you will enjoy it and I hope that you'll stick around. I also hope that you're subscribed to Suncast because that's how you'll ensure that you won't miss out on our twice-weekly content just like this. Of course, you can always... Check out the more than 500 additional clean energy founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com. But for now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. The Astute Suncast listener will remember the episode I did with Isha Rege of New Energy Equity, where I remarked about a serendipitous encounter on Rainbow Row in Long Beach. And the reason that I met Isha is because of today's guest. Now, the way serendipity works is I had been working on a live interview with none other than Andrew Birchy Birch at Intersolar. And I said to the crowd, if the sound of my voice is familiar to you, raise your hand. And pretty much the only person in the audience that raised their hand was Marcus Matthews, the, the gentleman that is gracing the stage of Suncast today. And later that day when I saw him and he's very recognizable, six something and long dreads, very easily recognizable. I saw him and I immediately stepped out of the conversation I was in and went over and introduced myself. Without further ado, I'll introduce you to my new friend and soon to be yours, Marcus Matthews. Great to see you again, man. Great to see you again, friend. Marcus, you've got a tremendous story, man. Born and raised in Baltimore, small nuclear family. I would imagine a large, uh, a larger family surrounding you. Could you tell me, was there in your childhood, any early sign that you had an entrepreneur gene that you were kind of destined to do your own thing? I would say, honestly, yes, there was. I'm older brother to just one younger <laughs> sibling. And I would want to take my brother out with me and try to figure out what 
we could do in order to make our day even better. Uh-huh. And by that meaning, like we would, we would try to go out into the woods and we would try to build things. We would try to build our own fort without yeah. even knowing how to do anything. So from that point on, it was just, you know, that sparked the engineering aspect of, of my brain, I would say. I love that. I know that. And we'll get into how JROTC and the Navy ended up really defining and developing a career for you. But what did you always think you would become that you ended up never pursuing? I wanted to become an astronaut. And I think at that point, I wanted to figure out what would be a good method or a good approach in doing so. Mm-hmm. And honestly, where, where I specifically grew up is actually where the same neighborhood as an astronaut that actually made it. And that's- No way. Who? Oh, yeah. So that's uh, Kirby. And he was born and raised in Turner Station, Maryland, and is an African-American uh, astronaut that actually made it and has had one of the most uh, successful spacewalks. He's been in space. So, Did anybody tell you that the average uh, astronaut is between 62 and 75 inches? Which is like no. kind of six feet, two-ish inches tall. You're, you're how tall? I'm 6'3". Six, 6'3". Three. Six, three. So you're like pushing the edge. I know I always, I'm, I always, I'm there. <laughs> I always laugh when I, when I meet like really tall people and they're like, yeah, I always want to be a pilot. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, there's, there's like, I'm shorter than average. And there's like height restrictions on both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> I never could have become a pilot at five, four and a half. <laughs> they're like, no, you have to see over the yoke. <laughs> You got to be able to see it with a wheel. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got you. <laughs> oh, it was always the bane of my um, my childhood as well. I couldn't go in the bumper cars and everyone else could. Couldn't go in the roller coaster. <laughs> uh, at any rate, you did end up getting into JROTC. How did that change the course of your life and your career? I would say it gave me the structure that was needed. Mm. Just being being a teenager and in a, a wild environment of of a major metropolitan area, mm-hmm. not, not knowing what's out there and what's good, what's bad for you. So uh, it, it actually gave me more of a, a streamlined focal path in order to, to get what I wanted to achieve in focus. Was that something that was offered to you as a pathway by someone else in your, your close circle? Was it just some like a recruiter at a table somewhere in your school? How did, how did it become a, an opportunity that you identified? Um, I actually, I saw it as an elective going into school All right. and I was just curious about it. Uh, I do have uh, two uncles that one is in the air force and, and one retired from mm-hmm. the army. So at that point, just wanted to try something different knowing that in my direct family, there were no military members. Mm-hmm. So you did end up in, uh, going on to the Navy. Was that your first job? That was my first career. Yes. How did you select that career? In particular, you became a deep sea diver for the Navy. Tell us more about how your career unfolded as you started to consider where were your skills, where were your interests and, and how you turned that into something that ultimately served you well and brought you into the energy sector. Sure. Well, in the Navy, I was uh, a fire controlman and that's something that's equivalent to an electronics technician. Okay. The pathway in, in doing that, um, I scored pretty high on, on my, my ASVAB exam getting in and I wanted to find a pathway to go to college and Knowing that at the time, my mother was a single mother, a single parent, you know, uh, raising two boys. And it was difficult for her to be able to save and, and you know, put us in that, that path. So I, I then took things under my own, I guess it was my destiny at that point, you know, just trying to change what, what I could do for myself. 
knowing going through JRTC would give me a, a leg up in the pathway of, of going into the military. My goal itself was, was a Naval Academy, but I did not get one of those congressional nominations that only one of 100 people, you know, you're, you you got to be lucky, right? You got to be spot on. You got to be top of the top. So next best thing I, I went enlisted. And like I said, knowing that uh, JRTC would, would give me the, the, the one leg up and, and going that route, I went in. I uh, went in with a good job, so to speak, that I knew would get me the, the education that's needed. As tryouts, I, I try out for uh, something called EOD, and that's Explosive Ordnance Disposal. And I did not make the cut because, once again, that's, that's something that's like borderline seals. You know, that's, that's something that's super awesome, and I hats off to those guys. But ultimately, just having some of that training when it was time for me to get out of the Navy at that point, I did utilize my engineering aspect, continuing with, with college and, and, and uh, getting my degree. And at that point, I knew something was just different with me. I've always wanted to work with my hands. So this is, this is how it happened, honestly. Um, working for Lockheed Martin as an electrical engineer, as a test technician after the military, I, I got bored. This is just crazy. I just got bored out of nowhere. I'm just, you were in the Navy, you have an affinity for water, you know, you tried out for, for diving then. And why don't you try out for something else that's, that's along those same lines that I can still be an engineer. I could still work with my hands and I could still be in the water. I looked around the country and there were about, at the time, five commercial dive schools and commercial diving itself is hard helmet diving. That's, that's putting a helmet on your head is surface supply diving. So I was super curious about that at that point. And that's because you're underwater for so long. You're underwater for so long, you have to be supplied with, uh, you know, a, a reliable source of the mixture that you're breathing. So I went down to the Gulf of Mexico and became an underwater welder at that point through, you know, trial and error, going through, going through your schooling and getting on board with a with company and, you know, going through the ringer. And that, that brought you to Morgan City. Give me, give me some interesting facts about Morgan City that most listeners won't, won't know. Morgan City is actually the birthplace of the shrimp and petroleum industry. Together. It's not together, guys, <laughs> not shrimp and petroleum, but shrimp <laughs> industry and the petroleum yeah. industry. It's the birthplace. So, so since I know you'll probably tell the story again, I would recommend Morgan City is the birthplace of two industries, shrimp and petroleum. <laughs> Put the industry part first. <laughs> That's funny. The first time we, I, it, it came out exactly how it did the first time we had a conversation. So- why is that relevant for, for the sort of the discourse of the re- remainder of your conversation? It's interesting that Morgan City and you becoming a commercial diver is, uh, it takes you to the place where the industries of shrimp and petroleum were, were born. But how's that relevant for kind of how your career evolved? Sure. So everyone is aware of Hurricane Katrina and Rita and the damages that it caused to the Gulf and the Gulf cities and Gulf states and uh, the lives and, and everyone that was impacted. Yeah. I was out there for that. Uh, that was a lot of work for us, you know, trying to get things right, uh, put things back together. Things were going, you know, pretty good as far as repairs were concerned and getting things back online. Repairs on well digging sites or? Sure, sure. So there's out there in the Gulf of Mexico, you have oil rigs that mm-hmm. people know of, but we call them platforms. Yeah. And something that I was ignorant of is that. There's always a need for every single skill set and trade above the surface. You're going to need that below the surface, wow. whether it's people 
who are miners, people who are divers. And at the same time, if we remember, I wanted to be an astronaut. So let's keep that in mind. An astronaut is going into an atmosphere that is a negative, right? I, at that point, had the affinity that I wanted to be an astronaut. I like water. Let's try being a diver. So as a diver, you're going into multiple atmospheres. So it's a different environment. So as an astronaut, you're going negative, but I'm an aquanaut. I'm going positive. Like I said, just being ignorant of the fact that you need every single skill set above the surface, mm. you're going to need that below surface. So I'd like using my hands. I like turning wrenches, so to speak. Going underwater is something that's really fun. It's a different environment, you know, somewhere that I'm not really supposed to be. I mean, if, if so, God would give me gills, yeah. I would say. Mm. But being underwater, doing repairs at the same time, using that engineering side, um, being an inspection diver, going down and uh, checking out things, making note, working as directed or instructed, bringing that back topside, going through the engineering process for repairs. So let's fast forward a little bit. You know, a couple of years have passed during the remediation of the Gulf of Mexico. Things were going well. At the time, they, they started with, I would say, experimental drilling and things like that out in deep waters. I'm no expert on this, but I would say, you know, with the damages that uh, happened from the Macondo well site, which is Deepwater Horizon, which everyone knows that's the platform itself was called. The company I was working for, we were actually working on a similar pipeline that is, is in the vicinity. It was the same company. I think we were approximately about three to four miles away when the incident happened. So at that point, I remember we're pulling up anchor. We're, we're you know, everyone, everyone is getting out of there get into a safe zone at that point until the area is clear. Was there some like radio conversation saying, you know, there's been an incident? There's tons of radio chatter at that point. And uh, at that time, you know, no one's able to, to actually communicate back and forth. It's almost like a radio silence and you get on the, get on the emergency channels and you just listen to it at that point. So wow. it, it was really scary being out there, um, being out there alone, right? You're on a boat. You look around, you know, being in the Navy is different. Uh, that's a ship. Yeah. But being on a diving vessel, that's a boat yeah. <laughs> and it's in the Gulf. So yeah. it alone just being at night is is kind of a weird thing. But when you hear something like that, that's really, really dangerous. And not knowing, you know, if if that pipeline is connected to anything that you're working on yeah. in the areas that you're working on. So it was a real scary incident. But um, the company I was working for at the time, whenever you saw videos I'm going to let you know that that was the remotely operated vehicles that was used by the company I was working for. No way. How about um, that? So you would, you would see those live images. Um, at that point, I finished out working out there uh, until the well was capped. Uh, at that point, I realized that that major impact to the environment and how close to home it happened. You know, commercial diving was my bread and butter. That's That's how I was living at the yeah. time going out there in the Gulf. I was an oil and gas guy. Yeah. And, you know, something like that happened. So that's actually what led to being in the industry that I am now, which is renewable energy. Well, let's talk about that. I'm guessing that the commercial diving, especially in the oil and gas sector in the Gulf, that that sector slowed down considerably after the Macondo site incident. And I'm curious at the same time, given that there was this tremendous environmental impact how did you begin to think about what your career might evolve into? How did you start to identify solar and renewable energy as an alternative to leverage, maybe not your underwater skills, but your engineering talent? 
and your your affinity for repair and maintenance. Sure. So, like I said, it it, it being such a you know close to home type of impact, I I kind of saw as a diver because the Maconda Well site was out in deep water. It's out in an area that we as humans are not able to go that deep, and because of that, I felt as though the remotely operated vehicles themselves were the ones that were going down that deep. They can withstand that that pressure, but um, they're not human. So one way or another, the diving industry was going to go more towards these these vehicles, these these robots, and we would become obsolete. And that's that's kind of something that I saw in the past from when. I was in the Navy and I worked on electronics. I used to work, you know, on electronics down to component level, uh, resistors, diodes, you know, rectifiers, things like that. As time evolved, we're not repairing these circuit boards anymore. We're throwing them out and popping a new board in. You know, your TV breaks. You go to the store and just get a new TV at this point. So I, I see this. It was a trend at that point. I left being that part of an electrical engineer to be a diver. I left being a diver to something else. I saw as a diver, we were going to be obsolete. We're, they were going to phase us out with robots of some sort. And I'm not saying robots are taking over. You know, I don't want the listeners to think that, but these ROVs eventually as a diver, you can't, you can't be a diver forever. You can't be a deep sea diver forever. There's so much that's, that's harmful in your body, you know, mixed gas diving, the pressure alone, you're getting old, you know, <laughs> things like that. So yeah. Um, they they tend to phase you out into either being a supervisor or an RV technician. So that's just not the route I wanted to go. Yeah. So how'd you discover solar? So I, I came back to Baltimore at that point, still being a diver. Uh, I became an inland diver. So the difference between an offshore diver, obviously going offshore, and then an inland diver, I'm not diving deep. So at that point, it's a little bit, I'm going to say it's less money, but it's harder work. And it actually in my mind, showed me more of what it really takes to be a diver inland than offshore. Offshore yeah. is more like a vacation dive, you know, mm. at that point. So mm. working, working as an inland diver, I did some things around Maryland, working uh, in the, the, the United States Naval Academy. So I may not have gone to the Naval Academy as a plebe and been commissioned, but I mm. did get a chance to actually become stationed at the Naval Academy in a way. I worked for a diving company. Um, we did the repairs of the bulkheads where all the YP boats are parked. So I think to this day, I can honestly say I, I hold the longest record at the United States Naval Academy for the most consecutive dives and the longest dives. I have 55 dives consecutive and that's Monday through Friday. And my dives were about uh, six and a half hours long. I was only at about... 18 feet. So that's not a, it's a no decompression zone and you can just pretty much stay down there. There's times where I would just pop up just to eat and get right back down in there. But mm. all in all, as long as you're doing it within, you know, a good bounce time, you're good to go. So, so at that point, by me moving back to, uh, to Maryland, and, and like I said, being, being an inland diver, it's, it's hard, it's hard work. I didn't want to do that anymore. To be honest with you, like I said, I was getting old. I was driving back and forth. I seen a solar field and it just was like, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're an electrical engineer. You can do something in renewable. You did something in oil and gas. So why not solar? I started from the bottom. I, I looked around for a residential solar install company. And at the time, Vivint Solar was new to Maryland. And I figured, why not start out with a smaller office at that time? 
I started out as a lead install technician, worked my way up, cross-trained myself across the, the electrical side of the install. I cross-trained myself across the survey side of the install to the point where I could then run projects. At that point, I think I maxed out at that facility. Yeah. And I wanted to find a smaller mom and pop shop. And that's exactly what I did. I found another company, Aurora Energy in Maryland. And from there, I'm going to say I learned the most that contributed to where I am today. I learned how to be a successful sales rep in solar. I learned how to not only be uh, in the operations department, run the entire operations install team, take the measurements that I would go out and do the, the site surveys and come back to uh, design and say, this is what we're going to work with. And then go over to procurement and say, this is you know the type of system that works out. And it worked because it was a small team. And so you it had more- It was a small company at that point. More visibility over the whole, the whole pipeline. Yes. And that itself, I'm going to say, is what definitely contributed to Mike's success yeah. in, in being an entrepreneur. At that point, the smaller company did not have any type of a service department. So the owner and I worked together to create some sort of a profit share. And uh, from that point, what we would do is- any type of legacy upgrades, any type of customers who, and this, this company, let me, let me step back a little bit. This company only sold to customers. They did not do any type of leases and no PPAs, nothing like that. It was, yeah. you know, when Cash I go deals. to a, right. When I go to someone's house there, I'm walking away with a check and yep. two months later, they have a system on their house. So mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty much how it was. We didn't have any type of O&M agreement with them, right? Cause there was yeah. no service department. So it was just me. And I would go out and replace inverters. And uh, at that point, we figure if I do good on this, let's start a department. Let's, let's put some funds aside for yeah. you know, warranties and RMAs and, and things like that, that. We can go out and do these dispatches. So I continued with this and I realized at that point, wait a minute, you, know, you can do this on your own and make way more and you can control it and, and do it yourself. And you can say yes and no to these clients, right? There's times where I don't want to get up on a roof. And I don't want to be, you know, forced because I'm an employee to have to get up and, and do these things. So um, I started my own company at that point. I started my own company doing post-installation maintenance for residential installs. What a novel concept, right? And that's the, that was the birth of uh, PV Perfect. That's correct. As a sales rep, it was really good getting out face-to-face with customers and actually explaining systems to them. And, you know, one of the things I would always say was, whether you got a system from me or, you know, a customer or a company across the street, my goal is just to see these houses have renewable energy. I would like to see these houses get solar. I would like to see these customers benefit from renewable energy. This was a goal of mine. So going that route, uh, I, I think was very beneficial in some of the approach for my, my clients that, that I have for PB Perfect. Hey family, one quick reminder here that if you haven't yet joined Resource Labs, you are missing out. It is our outstanding community. It's the evolution of Suncast moving from presentations, you listening to us talk, to conversations. Our community involved in conversations as varied as powering Australia to green hydrogen to crypto and so many other things. Our newsroom is full of great insights. The main chat and even our RE Plus Where to Party At channel have been popping off. We've got more than 100 folks enjoying the community, and I would invite you in. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Come see how Resource Labs can help you grow your influence, impact, and income. See you inside. 
Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast, and you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Hexsolve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless, pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. So there's a couple things that are interesting that I want to sort of pull the thread on. One is total semantics. And um, I see this happen a lot. Like you show PV perfect on your sort of work timeline as starting around the time probably that you incorporated fully in 2018. Yet, if I'm following correctly, the time that you were at Aurora was through 2016. So that's correct. Yeah. So I, I wonder like if I, my, my advice to you, <laughs> if I were to give um, unsolicited advice, is to update PV Perfect to accommodate sort of when you started actually operating in the marketplace on what became the business of PV Perfect because I think it gives a it gives more and lends more credibility and it looks you know it would be six years of operation for PV Perfect most people aren't checking your LLC files. Um, <laughs> the second is I still find it fascinating that as and and I think this is the main thread that I want to kind of understand with with our conversation is it's hard for entrepreneurs to often differentiate between a client and a job. I've been there. You are an entrepreneur. You've got a business that's generating income. And yet you'll take on opportunities that provide additional revenue. We've all got families. Um, maybe aren't certain if like, I'll call it PV perfect in this case, if like that business opportunity is going to be the, the be all to end all the direction. What I see from you is this ability to walk the line between having your own business and still identifying areas where I'll call it a job, but like at least a contract with companies like Trinity. And then again, you work for Sunrun uh, after you started PV Perfect and you currently have a, a job. It's a very compelling story for folks to understand that you don't always have to be the entrepreneur with your outside company. You can migrate back and forth in this world. So could you talk to the impetus that drove you to go be a service technician at Trinity to go back to Sunrun for, and, and each of these are about a one year stint. It's almost like you're doing extra training. And then now you are, you know, you're at Elite, which uh, bought uh, New Energy Equity, where you basically helped start the solar services division called Energy Support Services. I mean, it's a, it's a hard ball of yarn to unwind, but I'd love for, if you could give me the script notes on the decisions you made along the path to get to Energy Support Services where you are a full-time employee for another company and you do still have PV Perfect as a separate, a standalone business. Sure. I'd like to go ahead and say that it is definitely a fine line between understanding um, being an entrepreneur and an employee and then deciding when and when not to be. 
And in, I would say we all know of the solar coaster. And as an entrepreneur, you know, I'm going to say I do have customers and I do have clients. My clients are the ones that I actually have contractual agreements with, which would be, mm-hmm. you know, uh, services as going out and actually cleaning their solar panels mm-hmm. once or twice a year and doing some sort of a, a maintenance and, and um, a, a system health inspection or a system health check. And then I have customers who, you know, they'll call and say, hey, I have this issue. You know, I have. You know, I, I have a loss of production and I called around to, you know, a couple of solar companies and I, I finally found you by, you know, either like a word of mouth or, you know, they said, you know what, he'll do it. He'll take the job. So yeah. that's the difference in those. Those mm-hmm. come far few in between at times. You know, sometimes with these contracts that I have, I know that that's an annual fee or a semi-annual fee that's only set up at certain times of the year. Whereas these customers, they only come and go when it's, you know, something that actually affects them. So yeah, I can't, it's like going to the doctor when you're sick. Yeah. Right. I can't guarantee that for me and anyone that I have employed for me. So at that time, I make sure that anybody I do have employed for me, they're the ones that go out for these hard assignments, mm. I like to call them, these contractual yeah. agreements. When it comes down to these spot services, I'll take care of those. Mm. And as I said, because they're not guaranteed, there's times where I actually have to go back to being an employee and I have to understand that. So my wife and I actually do partner off. And um, there's times when I am a full-time employee, she will then take over uh, you know, the business and, and deal with the calls, the schedules and, and getting dispatches out there. Amazing. So can you talk to the skills that you feel like you added to your tool belt as you moved through Trinity and Sunrun and now at Energy Support Services? Sure. So with starting out at, at Trinity, they they did not have the room to put me in proper placement. So mm-hmm. they already knew that that was just something, you know, they needed the help. Uh, I needed a job at the time. So yeah. it was pretty much a stepping stone. For me, I'm, I'm so curious about how things work, how companies work. Yeah. So at that point, it was... Um, you know, looking at my dispatch and I saw, you know, Sunrun is actually subcontracting this company out. Why am I working as a subcontractor? Why not just go to the company? And then yeah. at that point I can be their technician. So that's why there was such a short stint there. And yeah. then it. going over to Sunrun at that point, it was such a big company that at that point I knew that any type of certifications that were needed, I'm going to get these certifications. I, yeah. at that point, I'm going to get any type of specific training on equipment that they utilize. Brilliant. So that would also help me. That's knowledge that I'm going to retain that, you know, is not going to expire. So uh, I got this company at that point, well, that Sunrun at that point for their services, uh, there was only two technicians. It was myself and another service technician. And we on covered the East Coast the, in, in the state or we, what? We covered the entire state of Maryland uh, okay. to the yeah. point where we started venturing out into the outcast areas right. of, <laughs> of Maryland, you know? So um, yeah, at that point, once again, I was working at a, at a wage and I'm seeing at that point, uh, because, because they were dispatching me to areas all throughout the state, it was opening my eyes to where a lot of solar was. And what that was doing was just giving me the recon, you know, I'm getting paid to drive three hours to go do an assignment along the way. I'm looking and I'm like, Oh, 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 there's Oh wait. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yep. So what that, what it did at that point, it just, it gave me the time to set up the, the marketing aspect of PV perfect. I was able to then create a website. I was able to create flyers and, and hangers and, you know, mailing certs. And it gave me the idea at that point to just like, Google Maps is free. I can just, you know, hover over a certain area and see what solar is on houses. And then, you know, 
hey, do you own your system? Do you uh, lease your system? Who is your provider? You know, so it took a lot of knocking on doors before I was able to, you know, stand up and and hold that company at this point as long as I've held it. That's amazing. So somewhere around middle of 2019, you were able to leave Sunrun and just spend time focused on PV Perfect. We got to a point where we were so busy that my living room, I had about 20, you know, solar edge inverters and boxes <laughs> that people needed RMAs taken care of. I had yeah. boxes of optimizers and N-phase microinverters, people that needed legacy upgrades, people who have had systems installed on their house for two, three years. And, Amazing. you know, they've never had the production values that they've had before. At what point did it become clear to you, though, that, uh, I mean, obviously the pandemic hits six, eight months after you leave Sunrun, but how did you become aware of the opportunity to work with uh, Matt and the new energy equity team? Was energy support services already in existence at that point? Yes. So energy support services, ESS, was already established at that point. What got me to their door? It's really interesting. So I was traveling, um, traveling along as I normally do, trying to find and do my recon. It was just an actual Sunday afternoon. And I saw a, I think it was about a two megawatt solar field at that point. And I'm like, you know what, what if I got one of these sites and yeah. I was able to go up and clean these sites and, and do basic services and maintenance there? Yeah. You start thinking bigger. I had no idea. Nico, I had no idea, you know, what's really behind those doors. And once again, if you remember, that's, that's how I work. I like to see the inner workings behind a company to understand so that I can help them at that point become better, be where we need to be. So uh, at that point, I think I knocked on the right door because I searched around. And then um, at that point, I, I found out about energy support services. And uh, I think maybe a week later, there was an opening for uh, operations manager. And I said, you know what? That is it. That's, that's where I need to be. That's, that's the team that I need to, to join. I need to figure it out from there. So I applied for it and the rest is history. Yeah. So was PV Perfect doing okay at the time? Yes. And we still are. Yeah. You just felt like I need the skill set of understanding how utility scale O&M works. Yes. And okay. I actually enjoy it so much that I've actually stepped away from PV Perfect. Yeah. You've been there for as, two years. As, yeah. <laughs> for, for me, it was, it was one of two things. So during my interview process, I actually did negotiate where PV Perfect and energy support services would lay. Yeah. And at that point, PV Perfect, we would not in any way, shape or form step outside of residential. Right. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I put it down at that point. I'm not going to step in their backyard uh, and they're not going to step in residential. So, and there's no interest for energy support services yeah. to actually go into the residential factor or sector. So we've mentioned a couple of times where I have that ESS is connected with, and my understanding is spun out of new energy equity, which was yes. recently acquired by elite up in Duluth, Minnesota. Right. And you guys also uh, acquired IPS. That was a great move, by the way. Did ESS go get pulled along in that acquisition? So the reason why we, we were pulled in is, New Energy Equity themselves, as the EPC developer financial partner on a lot of these, these deals, spun ESS as their O&M provider. When you sell your site, when you sell a system or anything like that, sell a service with it. And ESS was that. At the same time, the uh, New Energy Equity owned sites, we operate and maintain those as well. So why not have 
you know, your own in-house O&M as well. So it was just, yeah. you know, an awesome partnership. And yes, it, we were a part of the deal. Um, why not just keep a good thing with it? Right. So yeah. that's, that's what I can pretty much speak on it. I, I get it. Yep. There are things <laughs> that you cannot speak on and I totally get that. So is, is energy support services now operating as an independent entity for O&M under the elite brand, under the ESS brand? Can you talk a bit about the market facing entity that is ESS now? What I can say is that energy support services is a new energy equity company. Mm. New energy equity is an elite company. That's pretty much what I can say. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, someone listening can't call you and say, do O&M on my site? Um, if someone owns a site, mm -hmm. they would know if ESS uh, does the O&M for that, for that company or mm -hmm. for, that, for that site. So we have sites from Hawaii to Vermont, to be honest with you. Yeah. How big is the fleet that you're managing? So I manage 200 and I believe 16 sites. Uh, our sites are anywhere between as small as 80 kilowatts up to, I think our largest site right now is 7.5 megawatts DC. Cool. You guys dominated in the Minnesota community solar market and even in the Illinois uh, auctions, you guys did remarkably well. Having been there for sort of the, the tail end of the, the, the big, so let's call it like the big move into Minnesota by new energy equity, but certainly been along for the ride with the Illinois stuff. Do you identify something that new energy equity in particular did extremely well in the marketplace that, that garnered that level of market acceptance and uh, I'll call it domination? We did and we do. We still do. Um, and, and we're expanding to so many more markets. I mean, you know, right now we're in New York and, and New York is, is about to explode. We're trying to get into other markets as well. We're in Illinois. Mm -hmm. We are in Ohio. We have Michigan. So, yeah, we're, we're expanding. Uh, we'd like to get we have Colorado. We'd like to get out to California as well. And what do you feel like New Energy Equity has done better than most in developing those markets? State consistent. With what? So our leader, Matt, mm -hmm. has pretty much just stayed consistent with, you know, what he's put in place. What works, works, right? Why, why change it? Is that like consistent with project size, consistent with project off-taker uh, target markets? What is it that you're consistent with? I would say we're consistent in our approach. We're consistent in our abilities to perform. We're consistent in our engineering aspect of it, what we go after, Right. Well, you said just now, like 80 kilowatts is the smallest, seven and a half megawatts is the largest. That's definitely not true for most community solar developers. I've talked to people who have like maybe one megawatt, two megawatts smallest, and they're going up to like 20, 30, 50 megawatts, right? Which are two completely different projects. <laughs> Scalability. I mean, we, we stay within our bounds. I think that's, yeah. that's a part of it. Great partnerships, what we have out there, um, connections, networking, our leader, he, he, he does a great job. And yeah. when, you, when you have that excellence there, you want to strive for that. And mm -hmm. at the same time, you want to do your best in order to make sure that we stay at the top. So that's one yeah. of the reasons why, you know, I, I think that we, we do dominate, if that's the word that, that mm -hmm. you would like to use. Uh, at least me and the O&M aspect or, the, you know, this, this sector of it, I, I know that we, we just have professionalism. Yeah. We do have accountability for what we, you know, look after, you know, yeah. what, what's, what's in my realm of what I have to take care of. I take care of it as it's my own. Yeah. Marcus, now that you're, uh, you know, fully in the solar industry, I'd love to know 
as someone who's a tinkerer and an engineer? What do you nerd out about right now? So I just recently purchased a home on the eastern shore of Maryland, and it's given me a little bit more space to spread my wings here. And mm -hmm. what I like to tinker around with now are little small renewable projects. Um, I was just out at dinner with uh, the business development manager, Adrian Enos, and my boss, Conrad Gross, director of operations with ESS, along with two of our new hires. And one thing that I did bring up is one of my little small projects would be, it's a, a vertical urban farm that uses renewable energy. It's pretty much just some solar mods, some batteries, charge controller, you know, some sort of a disconnect that goes That's into typical. a rectifier. And a, a rectifier is just the, the the inverters that you would use for your car. You would connect it to your battery. That way you can plug something in, you know, and, and get the, uh, the 120, 115 or 1500 watts. So what does it mean as a rectifier? Like, what does that mean? So a rectifier uh, itself is just, it's the, it's the direction in which they would change the electricity that's coming in, so to speak. So uh, an inverter would change it from DC to AC and uh -huh. a rectifier itself would change it from DC to AC, so to speak. Got so, it. Or AC to DC. From DC, the battery, your car battery itself. Ah, the rectifier takes it like out of the DC of the battery and turns it into usable. AC, Got it. correct. Ah, I never knew that. Did you know oh, my buddy Harry Duran has the Vertical Farming podcast? Did you know that exists? I did not. That would you be really awesome to try to like implement something that would help out with that. You so. would totally geek out on that. And I'm happy to introduce you to Harry if you want. He, that would be really uh, awesome. He interviewed the folks from Acre. He's had like everybody that matters in vertical farming. I think he's probably interviewed them now. So I, I worked with, and this was so interesting that it happened this way. Um, one of the clients that Aurora Energy actually had were two Johns Hopkins University aeronautical engineers and they had a solar system on their house and I went out to service it and just having normal conversation like I said getting face to face with people letting them know that you know how they can do better how they can live you know and, and improve their uh, production and and lower their consumption and things like that but just having a conversation with them and me explaining that I was a diver we actually came up with this this, this is where this idea actually came from. And it's speaking with them because they were trying to figure out how they can have deployable pods that would pop up and would go into these urban areas, these, these hard pressed areas where you're space constrained for land to, to farm and you just don't have that ability. Right. So yeah. one of my ideas that I threw at them was like, and then this is actually a real question to you. Do you know where majority of the oxygen on this planet comes from? The, uh, the water. The water, but more specifically, the coral reef. Right. And that's something that's I do dying, know. I right? And I but, lived, as you know, down in um, in Puerto Morelos, which is the second largest coral reef. Off, I mean, I literally like swam to it often. It's the second largest coral reef behind the Great Barrier Reef. So it wasn't doing well. It's kind of doing better now. But at the time, you know, at the time it was they actually had a piece that they were experimenting with. And knowing that it's a renewable uh, or it, it, it regenerates, right? It's regenerative yeah. as long as conditions are right. So um, that itself is a good way to oxygenate the water using koi itself and in, in, in this little uh, feeding tank itself to aerate the water itself to, you know, get the right nutrients. And yeah. um, that's where I would then come in with my solar aspect and create this, you know, system of the 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 mods and, and the batteries and charge controller, et cetera, to the point where they're able to plug in some pumps 
and, you know, the pumps themselves and things like that. So it was just a collab that we put together. It looked ugly at first. I mean, it was horrible as far as, you know, everything was just like, put this here and this works here and this works here. But, you know, something that I'm, I'm definitely trying to do in my backyard and keep in mind, I'm a welder, I'm a fabricator, uh, I'm an engineer. Um, I like to design. So my wife hates it because I have this little corner of my yard. That's just, you know, it's my dungeon area. I call it. Um, it's like a graveyard of parts, but yeah, I'm trying to put something together that hopefully would be able to, um, be, um, transportable, deployable and uh, dependable. That's so fun. So look, a resilient urban vertical farming pod. That's cool. That's self-sufficient that you can just, yeah, self-sufficient. you know, I love it. Pop, well, pop in what you need to pop in. That's fascinating. I never know what that question is going to yield. And that was a, uh, that was a bounty <laughs> right there. Marquis, uh, I'm going to call you Marquis, but uh, I know everybody else calls you Marcus. What meta lessons learned do you feel like you would want to pass along to other entrepreneurs out there? Maybe it's to set wow. their mind at ease. Maybe it's just to help them understand the journey is long and persistence is key, things like that. I'm such an enigma at this. So I would say, honestly, for anyone out there, uh, I could give you a sob story. Uh, I'm an African-American. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, single mother, didn't have money for college, uh, didn't know if I was going to make it the next day or not, went to the military. Um, that's what society told me I could do. Mm-hmm. I went to college. That's what society told me I should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became a tradesman. That's what I'm telling people they should do. Um, work with your hands, work with your brain, use your heart. Don't let statistics tell you that this is, this is it for you. You yeah. write your destiny every single day. It's not something that's set in stone. If you believe in fate, then that's, that's what's, you're going to be left with. And to me, fate is nothing but a closed gate. And um, yeah, man, I, I, I honestly believe that, you know, no, you can't be anything that you put your mind to, but you can definitely do anything that you put your heart to. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I've done. I've just, I've followed, I followed that, that, that moving goalpost and that moving goalpost is just called life. You know, wherever my next adventure leads me, I just, I just try to make the best of it. I enjoy it. I enjoy this ride the entire, you know, entire way. I know it's, it, <laughs> I know, I know it's a lot, but yeah, for anybody out there, you know, especially being an entrepreneur, you know, if you, if you see that you can do better in, in any way, shape or form, do better. Like I, yeah. my, my wife, I try to give her as, as many, you know, ideas for her to create her own you know, company. I have, you know, she has a 3D printer. We have a Glowforge. We have a cricket machine. We have, you know, all of these things that we can craft out, right? And I got a welding machine. I have all kinds of woodworking yeah. tools. So just do what you want to do. Do yeah. do that, 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 that which gives you the passion to wake up. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Marcus, if, uh, if folks were so inclined and were inspired by your story and they'd like to reach out to you, where do you like to be found? LinkedIn would probably be the best source itself to get to me, uh, either that, or I work for energy support services. You go to mm-hmm. energy support team.com. You can find me there under leadership. Right. I like to head out to as many conferences as possible. So, uh, if, if you know of me going out to a conference, please, by all means, just like you said, I'm, I'm highly recognizable. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in the Northeast. So I imagine, uh, in February timeframe, you'll be at the, uh, RE plus Northeast. Yeah. I will not be at RE plus. I will uh-huh. not be at SPI, unfortunately. But oh no, I'm in the at, one in the in the spring oh, in the New winter. York. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I would not be at that. The only the only conferences this year I will be at for certain. I will be at NABSEF conference. I will be at Inter uh, uh, Intersolar as, uh, as well. Uh, this mm-hmm. year around, I will be a judge at the uh, the Solar Games. So I'm I'm excited oh, fun- for fantastic. that, uh, and that's actually where we met. So it is. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, I hope to see you back in Long Beach as well. And uh, it's been great having you here. Let's end today, as we always do, with a bold prediction. Marcus, what one thing do you see happen in the market? Maybe nobody else is uh, tracking. What's in your crystal ball as we spring forward into 2023 and beyond? Wow. So I'm, I'm super biased in O&M, right? And um, I'm, I love the cleaning aspect of solar panels. Solar panel cleaning is big on the West Coast and the Southwest. I get it. It needs to come more towards the Midwest, Northeast. People are starting to uh, inquire about it. But I would say, honestly, for those people who are in vegetation management, don't sleep on it. Get with it. If you need some ideas, I'm full of those ideas. But I think on that side of it, the cleaning side of of, uh, solar is something is where we're going to be. I love what you said. If you're on the vegetation management side of the business, don't sleep on this opportunity. Because it is one that, uh, that everyone needs to pay attention to. There's some really fun companies out there like RST that are doing stuff on the panel cleaning, mm-hmm. uh, Fraxon doing stuff on sort of predicting panel cleaning when it needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had Michael Bowdy from Silicon Ranch on recently talking about their regenerative energy, like everything from even vegetation, vegetation management is undergoing a, a scrutiny of how to optimize the systems. Uh, I mean, it's a power plant after all. So it's fun. It's a fun engineering challenge, even how we manage the, the vegetation around uh, this, the asset. Right on. <laughs> Marcus, it's been a joy to have you on Suncast, brother. It's good Thank to- Thank you. You've got, a, you've got a great presence about you. I love your energy and I look forward to hanging out with you more the next time I see you in person. Maybe that'll be Long Beach, but certainly it'll be somewhere uh, that we'll I'm, find each I'm, other. I'm hopeful of something soon. So uh, yeah. that'll be exciting. Incredible. Thanks for showing up and I uh, appreciate your time here on Suncast. All right. Take care. Well, that's a wrap on the conversation today, Solar Warriors. And I just want to say thank you to Marcus once again for the generosity that he showed of taking time out of his day to help us upskill and better understand not just his entrepreneurial journey, but the opportunity he sees sitting there waiting for us to take advantage of it in servicing these power plants better for residential homeowners as well as large asset owners and IPPs. What did you learn? What did you take away? What would you like to share with others? I'd love it if you would do that by going to LinkedIn, finding the post that I've made for this episode and give us a like, engage with that post, leave us a comment on what your takeaways are. And if you'd be so bold, share it with your network so that others can find this conversation with Marcus and be inspired by his journey. I hope you'll tune in next week for our practical tactical tuesday episodes which are often shorter and provide guidance on specific subject matter expertise and these longer thursday episodes give you the background you need to better understand and have decision making capabilities through listening to those of the leaders on the front lines of the clean energy revolution as we like to call it i hope that you're eager to keep learning and you'll take a moment to go to mysuncast.com to get the social media links and book recommendations that we always link to in the show notes. And we've also been putting there the transcripts and timestamps, which I know are helpful for some of you. Thanks once again to our sponsors who help make this content free to you each and every week so that you 
can enjoy it and grow with us. You can learn more about them and their offers at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. And that's how you could also learn ways to partner with us and reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.